0: Welcome to Day Two Cloud. In today's episode, we are interviewing Jan Hoffmeyer. Jan is a vice president within Amazon Web Services. His group focuses on EC2, uh, specifically EC2 functioning at the edge. So we're talking local zones, AWS outposts, these sorts of things. Then, and I recorded the show at AWS Reinvent 2022 in Vegas. Uh, some media folks were kind enough to set us up with Jan to have this conversation. In the discussion, Ned and I asked Jan all kinds of questions about EC2 at the edge. What's really happening in an outpost box? How you order one? What it means when you've got an outpost box standing up in one of your racks? What a local zone really is? How does AWS decide to stand up a new local zone? What is the plumbing for AWS like going into a local zone? Is it as good as what happens in a region? Jan answered all of our questions and it was totally unscripted. We walked in having really no idea what uh, all jan was ready to talk about we just went in and started asking questions and he started giving us answers it was a lot of fun so enjoy this conversation with jan hoffmeyer vice president at aws for ec2 at the edge
1: jan hoffmeyer welcome to day two cloud we're very excited to have you here today on the show can you please tell the good folks out there a little bit about yourself and what you do for aws
2: oh great to be here with uh, both of you so uh, I'm with the uh, AWS EC2 team, and uh, EC2 is the is the compute cloud compute for mm. uh, for Amazon. Mm-hmm. And specifically, my focus is around the EC2 uh, um, edge uh, area. So, um, before you even ask me, what is yeah. the edge? <laughs> before, the uh, so the edge is so um, at uh, AWS we have our big regions, and our regions mm-hmm. are our large data centers, or locations. Um, we have thirty of them across the world. Uh, mm-hmm. Each of these Regions have ninety-seven, uh, one of each. But these regions represents ninety-seven availability zones. So, that availability zone is, you know, for a given region, there's there's typically three or, more, or four different availability zones. Each of those are independent data centers. And that's where we run the big workloads. So, that's, think yeah. of that, that's AWS. Right.
0: That, that's and that's the easy two that everybody EC2, knows and uses. Yeah. That's where yeah. we run
2: all of our services over <laughs> yeah. two hundred services. That's that's Amazon, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, AWS. Um, the edge is when we take the the cloud, the AWS cloud outside of the region, and closer to our users. So outposts? Well, the first stop is actually local zones. Okay. So okay. local zones is where um, we still have AWS-run facilities that runs a smaller instance of, yeah. of the AWS cloud, yeah. closer to metropolitan areas and, and, and the edge. Um, and um, a good example of where that's useful was with the Dish, for instance, when Dish uh, deployed their 5G network in the U.S., um, they can run some of the, the non-latency-sensitive applications in the region. And then things that are latency-sensitive from the 5G network that runs mm-hmm. close to a tower, that they can run in a local zone. That's in the metro close to the tower. So that's the, the local zones. And then we go closer and we go on-prem. And for on-prem, whether it's your data center, your office, your, uh, your factory, your retail store, we have Outpost. And we make right. Outpost available in two forms. One is a 42U rack. <laughs> So for the listeners out there, that's like a big sub-zero refrigerator. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, right. it's, a, it's, a, it's a large debi- uh, rack with equipment. But we also have a, um, a one-unit, two-use server, just mm-hmm. an individual server. And uh, so that's kind of, that's the edge.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, how does Snowball fit into the edge picture? Is that fall under your umbrella as well? Because I know there's like Snowball and there's Snowball Edge that has some compute yep. bundled
2: in. Yep. Well, my, uh, my colleague, uh, Wayne Dusso, uh, he runs the Snow family of devices. Okay. And the Snow family differentiates itself from Outposts that it can run disconnected. So a okay. Snow device, you can imagine, can run in an area where you don't have always connectivity to the cloud. Sure. Um, and it's typically used, the most extreme case, uh, was we sent one up to the uh, International Space Station. <laughs> and, uh, and you would think, is that a publicity stunt? Why would you do that? And there's so much data generated there that their ability to just load it up into a device with the next vehicle coming down, they can Mm -hmm. get, get the device connected, all the data goes into AWS, and their scientists will immediately have access to it. So it's actually a really interesting use case that NASA is using it uh, for, for bringing data down, large amounts of data down from the space station. So, yes, it's com- it's in the disconnected world. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's where Snow looks.
1: Talk about being bandwidth constrained exactly. yeah, from the ISS. <laughs> <laughs> that that makes a lot of sense from yeah. a storage perspective. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about local zones. How do those differentiate from like an availability zone per se? Yeah.
2: So uh, the idea of a local zone is how do you get closer to where the users are? And it's really driven by two things. One is latency.
1: Mm-hmm. And a
2: great example of latency that I'm sure many of you, your, your listeners will appreciate is gaming.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Where latency is really important. So mm-hmm. that, what a l- lot of your gaming companies like Epic will do is they will deploy local zones um, that is, gives them a much better latency experience. Uh, so that would be an example of, of latency. The other one is data residency. This is where there's regulations that says the data must be in a country or in a yeah. state. Ah, oh, okay, right? And it cannot even leave the state. So a good example of, you're in, in the U.S., of uh, regulations that where the, the data has to stay in the state is uh, real-time gaming. So companies like FanDuel, mm-hmm. okay. they need to, the, the data has to stay within the state. So oh, okay. So they can run in these local zones or even in outposts in the state and then be in compliance with the regulations.
0: Does that help with GDPR as
2: well? It it does. Um, But GDPR, uh, we support across the entire Amazon uh, uh, continuum, right? From the regions all the way down, because at the end of the day, it's really the customer that controls where the data lives. Hmm. It's the customer who controls who have access to the data. So GDPR compliance is across the entire, entire cloud.
1: Because it's a smaller facility, it's still managed by AWS. What do I have from a resiliency perspective for that local zone? Because I know best practices for an application running in a region would be to you know, put it across a couple availability zones in case a zone were to go down. Yep. What do I do at the local zone level?
2: So with the local zone, what we see our customers do is they, they run their application in the local zone and they use the region as the failover.
0: Right okay. if
2: something do happen with the local zone? Now, our local zones are fully managed data centers with the same resiliency as we built our availability zones in the region. Right, so they, it's it's the same level of 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 resiliency that we built there. But if something had to happen with the local zone, they will fall back to a region. Okay, that makes sense.
0: Now, the big play for a local zone you were talking about latency, um, moving those workloads closer to where they need to be processed. Can I get all the network services that I would get direct connect circuits and you know this kind of uh, thing into my local zone? Absolutely.
2: So we, we support many of the same networking services. So AWS, you mentioned AWS Direct Connect. That's a critical service that we support in the local zone. Um, and just to, for, the, for, the, for the readers, that gives our customers the ability to, to, to have a private, dedicated connection into us from whatever facility they come from, whether it's their data center or their offices into us. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay.
0: Now, we're at AWS reInvent 2022. Uh, your world is easy to an edge, as we've uh, decided here. So what announcements have come out this week that you want to share?
2: The first one, I'll start with the local zone. Uh, we are expanding local zones into international markets. Hmm. Uh, we've announced we'll go to 30 international markets. We've done already eight of them. Uh, this year, we'll continue to, to, to uh, increase that number. Um, why that is really exciting is there's many countries, back to the, the question about um, data residency, there's many countries where we don't have a region. Mm-hmm. We are putting local zones, and that really gives uh, customers in those countries the option of running both low latency in those countries, as well as being compliant with with data residency requirements. So so that for us is an exciting one with local zones. So
0: architecturally, as AWS, you'll keep your regional zones pretty much where they are now. It would be a pretty big undertaking to make a new
2: region. Um,
0: But local zones are smaller and easier to deploy, maybe? Yeah,
2: you know, the the beautiful thing about local zones is we can start super small.
0: Mm.
2: And, And I mean down to five or six racks. Okay. And we can grow it up to hundreds of racks. We can make it really big thousands of racks. So it really, is, it, it was designed in a way that can start very small. Uh, I'll, I'll share a little bit of insight. What runs inside of a local zone is actually Outpost. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> that makes and that, sense. So okay. that's why we can start really small and we can scale up.
0: And you don't have to build a facility for that then. You could partner with some other data center in the area and use some no. of their space, yeah? You
2: know, uh, local zone is, um, it's AWS facilities. It is, okay. Um, so it's us, it's, 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 Fully managed. So you, you'll uh, build something even if it's just forward. five or six racks. Absolutely. Now, we don't build it for just five or six racks. We can start that small. Yeah. But the facility we would build typically can, can grow much With, larger. The expectation and, of expansion, uh, sure. But yeah. we can go into a city or into an area, start small, and grow up. Um, now, we don't start that small. We know we start a little bit larger than five, but we could start that small. System.
1: Right. That's a little different than some of the other uh, edge services that I know that are out there that kind of do this pod-based architecture, where they'll drop a pod in a yeah. metropolitan area, and that has a maximum of, say, maybe 10 racks yes. in it. Yeah. it. It's easier for them to deploy, but it, you lose some of the expandability yeah. there.
2: No,
0: absolutely. Well, it's still tricky, though, if you're going to stand up a new facility, because you got to get network connectivity, uh, multiple network connectivity, into that facility.
2: So, when we decide on a new location right, there's, there's really two big things that has to happen. First is we need to find space, mm-hmm. right? So you need to find space, we have power, and, 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 and then you're 100% right. The next thing is we have to be bring our core network to that facility. Uh, and not just one of the links, we have to have redundancy coming into <laughs> right, this thing. Yeah. So, so bringing network to these facilities, that is a big, that is a big undertaking every time we, we launch one of these new facilities.
0: Okay, so you picking metro regions that are going to uh, give you the ability to stand up those facilities, but then also, is it customer demand? How do you decide where to put up a new local zone?
2: It's 100% customer demand. Yeah. Right, mm. uh, and you've heard so many times here at reInvent that you know, we are just being so obsessed. That's what we listen to. We listen to our customers, and we to hear to what, what's their problems, and that's what we respond to. So um, you know, a good example would be with, um, with Dish, Right. Mm-hmm. When DISH came out, we didn't have 17 local zones in the U.S. <laughs> we had one. Right. It was in, in L.A. Um, and um, and we listened to the requirement and the need for them to have more facilities closer to the towers. And we responded to that. So we absolutely respond to customers uh, and, the, and their needs.
1: Right. So in that situation, DISH had the towers, but they don't have the room in the towers to put all the gear that they might want for compute and, and processing. So they're leveraging your local zones to do that. Additional processing, because exactly. I know 5G has the capability to do local breakout. Correct.
2: That is correct. So with 5G, um, you know, the reason why I'm so excited about 5G, there's a lot of fanfare about all the <laughs> cool stuff it will do. Right. As a technologist, we're really excited. Yeah. It's the very first network ever designed and architected to be cloud native. Hmm. So what does that mean? Yeah. So instead of having a, a network defined and said, here's the entry point, and here's the exit point. They took every function in 5G, they broke it out into individual components, they created APIs,
0: yeah.
2: and you can now deploy them individually. Mm. So, so take the DISH example. Now for the first time, DISH can say, this one function is not latency sensitive, it's a control function, and I can deploy it in the region. Right. And here's a function that sits in the data plane, and it is highly latency sensitive, and I'm going to deploy that in the local zone. So it really allows you to break that whole five G monolith almost that you had to deploy in one place, and break it up and run it, run the function uh, with you know workload in the right location.
0: Uh, it's interesting the telco story. They've been working on this for for years now, being able We're to port up. those functions over to uh, to COTS and. The story was always about cost savings and being able to spin up and spin down some flexibility there with those services. Being able to move them around for latency purposes is uh, that's that's a great story. I hadn't heard that one before, but it's that's fascinating. Absolutely,
2: yeah. and and it and it shows. So one of the things you know, if you if I take a little bit of a step back, my you know, the the team's main objective is how do I bring the AWS cloud to these locations closer to the user, right? Whether it's in local zone or an outpost. Mm-hmm. And every time I put it down, I'm literally putting a piece of AWS Cloud down. It's the exact same API. Mm-hmm. All the exact same tools are available, right? And from a developer perspective, it just looks like AWS Cloud. It looks no different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll give you an example of when a developer goes into the AWS console um, and they say, I want to deploy in, in uh, US East one, right? Um, they pick the availability zone they want to deploy in and then they deploy mm-hmm. their code. right? Mm-hmm. Literally, the next option, if you have Outpost, it shows up as just another location. And the exact same code you just deployed there, you can deploy it to the Outpost. So it's, it's truly, it's AWS cloud running in mm-hmm. these locations all the way to Outpost, which, which one's on-prem.
1: Ooh. That, that oh, makes there's so no many questions <laughs> that I have. So uh, I know one of the difficulties with hardware that's installed on-premises is, Typically, you're responsible for updating and patching that hardware and software, which means that your API versions might be lagging behind what is running in the cloud because it's easier to update the cloud. Well, you're not updating it. AWS is updating it. Yep. How does API updates and versioning work with the not only local zones, but more specifically the outposts that are deployed on yep. a customer's premises?
2: You know, the very first mind shift that needs to happen with Outpost is you're not getting a server. You're not getting a rack. You're getting AWS Cloud.
1: Okay, yeah.
2: Right? So it's, it's, it's truly, for, for folks who run today data centers, and they, they get a server, they install the server, they have to provision or they have to install the software, they have to you know, make sure that all the code runs. With Alpost, you're getting AWS Cloud. What you do with Alpost, you, you connect it to power, you connect it to the internet, it shows up. And for us as an organization, that outpost server looks no different than a server in the region. Okay. When I update the region, I update the the, the outpost uh, server in on the on premise I update the the server in the local zone. So all the same mass scale operations that we have running all these regions, the exact same tools and system automation runs local zones and outpost.
0: So if I deploy outposts as a as an AWS customer, is that my stack of compute or is that part of the AWS cloud and other folks, other tenants could exist on the my outposts? So
2: Outpost is your compute. Okay. So mm-hmm. what happens a customer, typically a customer go into the console and they would specify what they're looking for. So I want an M5 uh, compute instance, right? And I want EBS block storage and so much EBS block storage. And, and they think about what they want to run. They want to run uh, container services, whether it's EKS or, 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 or ECS, um, what networking services, they could even run S3 on outpost right? And how much of S3 capacity they want. So they pick what they want and then we create that rack for them. We'll, okay. ship, we'll ship the rack out to the customer. Okay. They power yep. it up. And then when it the, when the provisions, we provision the rack. And then when they go to the console, there's everything they, they ask for. As if it was in the region. But okay. it's dedicated to them.
1: During the update process, I know know, typically you would probably evacuate a host in order to update the software on that host. You're running with limited capacity on those outposts, So how are you evac, do you evacuate the hosts? Or uh, Uh, can I control when the update happens in case there's gonna be a maintenance period?
2: So we have a super cool technology. It's called Nitro. And uh, so what Nitro is, is many years ago, we realized that to run at scale, you can't vacate workloads. Mm. But it would be a horrible operational overhead to think every time I have to make an update, I have to move people around. And, uh, so we created, we took all of the management of the server, whether it's the compute, the storage, or the network, and we actually moved it off the store, off the off, off the uh, the compute. Mm. And we're running it in a, in a dedicated separate hardware. Um, and that hardware sup, uh, runs all of all of the systems. So if you look at a... At an outpost and any server in our, in our, in our regions, um, the, the compute storage network on the server is 100% available to the workload. We don't run there. We run completely separate. That allows us to do almost all updates completely live and seamless to the workload.
1: I see. So if you need to patch the hypervisor... you can
2: update it without touching the without touching the, uh, the workload's one. That's just magic. So <laughs> but, but it's so important, you know. In my previous careers, you know, you work with um, big data centers and first of all you have version version nightmare, right? Oh, yeah. You get everything patched <laughs> and everything running and you have all kinds of stuff running and it's just that's just a nightmare on its own. And then the worst thing is a, a day zero security gets announced and you have to patch. Mm-hmm. Right? And that is and the, with on our side we most, in most cases, we, we're aware of those things even before it becomes available. We patch all of our regions, all of our local zones, all of our outposts. Hmm. So here, our customers really benefits from the, the fact that that outpost is the same as the region. And as we patch, right. we patch everywhere.
1: Wow, that is that is slick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at other edge platforms that I've... I've Worked with in the past. Yeah, that was not the
2: case. <laughs> no, that's I've, I've, I've had that same experience. <laughs> okay, and it's, and it's, I have to tell you, it's something feel a bit magic. I mean, it's it's really a, it's it's uh, yeah. yeah.
0: Now you mentioned earlier that uh, more local zones are being deployed in an international uh, international locations. It, it was part of the announcement like where you were going to be de- doing those deployments?
2: Yeah, we had we um, we constantly um, we had four actually uh, announced just before reinvent in Helsinki, Muscat. Uh, I'm going to miss a few, and uh, and, and and more coming uh, before the end of the year. So, okay. uh, and you'll continue to see us roll out these local zones, um, uh, you know, throughout the year. It's it's a critical part. I mean, as we see these local zones land in all of these these different areas, um, it's it's just amazing. And this is part of the magic for me about, about the cloud is, we have some workloads in mind and some intent, and then you make it available, and then people do things you've never even thought about. So um, we're very excited to see what people are going to do with with local zones. Well,
1: hmm. to, to go back to an earlier question, Ethan, you know, I think you were starting to ask, and then we got sidetracked. <laughs> <laughs> it always happens. Uh, in terms of services that are available on outposts, because I think about the 200 plus services yes. that AWS has, uh, not all of them are available in all regions, uh, you know, when they're launched or, or later. What is available generally on outposts, and does it depend on how big of a deployment I have? Yeah.
2: So so first, I'll start with your last part of your question. It doesn't depend on the size. Okay. Uh, So all outposts, whether it's one rack or multiple racks, it's the same, same services. We start off with the EC2 instances. Mm -hmm. Of course. um, Which which again, like as I said, the same instances once in the region, so the instance is the very first. Uh, Next comes EBS. Um, and block storage is just a, such a fundamental uh, service to have, to have block storage. Um, then we add some of the databases. So we have RDS, uh, Elastic Cache, S3 on Outpost. Okay. Um, then we have the container services, mm-hmm. uh, ECS and EKS. And we just uh, we just announced a really cool uh, version of EKS. It's called uh, Local Cluster okay. Support for EKS on Outpost. And what Local mm. Cluster does is um, before... If you lose connectivity to the region from your outpost, your Kubernetes containers will stop. Oh. Because Hmm. you lose connectivity uh, to to the cluster. So we introduce local cluster. We can run your entire EKS cluster locally on on the outpost. So even if you lose connectivity, you can continue to manage your, your clusters locally on the outpost. So there's a local uh, uh, interface where you can then manage that and continue operating. So mm-hmm. when the connection comes back, you know I mean, there's fiber cuts, there's weather events, <laughs> yeah. you know, many things happen. Yeah. Um, but it then survives that. So that was a really important one for us, and and we are continuously focusing on how do you make Outpost statically stable. Statically stable meaning that it can disconnect and continue to operate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for any other services, we have a you know we mentioned the network services uh, with yep. direct connect. Um, well, Directly, and not, um, and um, uh, so so on the outpost. and then for all the other services, you know, users use it in the region, or connect to the region services to take advantage CloudWatch, CloudTrail, and, mm. and any of the other services they can leverage.
0: But the outpost is built. Uh, I think you said based on customer spec too. So you you load up the uh, you load up the services that they are asking for. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Some customers might say, I, I I I don't need this one. I don't need S3, for instance, right? And then will configure it without S3 and well, they want S3, they don't want, you know, various oh, okay. services, so, so they can literally configure what they want, and we send them a very specific configuration. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But is the full
0: menu of Amazon services available on no, Outpost no, if I want it? No, it's a
2: subset. Okay. Uh, it's a subset, and it's really focused on the edge use cases that are very much compute because mm-hmm. the reason why you run on the edge is really is because of latency, and it's really compute-focused. C- compute so that's the majority of the use cases today. Yeah. Um, for, but we also support local, big local data, uh, data solutions. So if you have a big NAS solution running on-prem, you can connect your outposts to the existing data stores you have. Oh, okay. Um, and it just becomes the compute uh, the compute area for you.
1: I was going to ask about that because typically with hyper-converged solutions, the storage scales with the number of compute nodes you have. But if you need additional storage, how would you do that with Outpost? And the answer is... Yes, <laughs> you,
2: you can connect to it. And okay. the, the other one I want to just, you know, um, we introduced the Outpost server. So let's just... just Imagine, or it—I could—you know, you can imagine AWS cloud running in a rack. Now you have AWS cloud running in a single server,
1: and—and
2: mm-hmm. and the nice thing about the server, and I'm super excited about the server, is this now allows us to go to many, many locations. Right? right. Typically, our rack customers, they have one, two data centers, maybe up to hundreds of sites, but that's kind of the order. With the server, we were thinking this is going to go to like retail stores. We have thousands right. and thousands of locations. Yeah. So the first thing we change with the server, we introduce with the server, is it's fully self-installed. So you don't need an a, a Amazon technician to come on site and install it for you. You just
0: um, answered another question. You're shipping me a box so as shipping, Amazon.
2: Literally, I'm shipping you the server. Yeah. Uh, you come in, you order through the API, say I want a server, here's the address. We deliver the server at the address, you open it up, you put it in, you connect it to the power, you connect it to the internet, and then we immediately uh, will, will detect it, and we'll provision it to whatever you ask for. Right? So if you said, I want an M5 with this part of memory, it comes up, and in your console, okay. that server shows up as, as, as an instance. So
0: you, you ship it to a customer so that when it you plug it into the Internet, it's going to come online, it's going to phone home, yep. uh, I'm assuming, yep. and then you'll know, oh, we ship that to this customer, this exactly. is part of their AWS account. And I account. provision
2: it for them on their account. Yeah. And then okay. literally in their account it shows up, and there it is, and they can use it.
0: And so the one server is uh, something I buy outright, or I lease it? or
2: No, in, in all cases, you don't buy the hardware. Right. You, to your point, you lease the capacity. Okay. Right? So think of it as a, reverse, a reserve instance. Mm-hmm. You can do a one-year re, uh, re, uh, reserve instance, or you can do a three-year uh, reserve instance. So that's, that's the, the model.
1: Okay, so if I wanted an outpost server for my home lab... Because why not? <laughs> exactly. I could, I could pay a year up front and get a particular rate. You can
2: either it. pay up front or you can pay as you go, right? Okay. A uh, and that's you have a choice there.
1: Well, obviously, I'd pay up front. Yeah. So. <laughs> of course you would <laughs> Of course you wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I like to be prepared, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Fiscally frugal. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> Uh, uh, so those servers come in multiple sizes, or is it just one, one storage yeah. RAM CPU kind of a package? You
2: know, we have, uh, no, so we have the uh, 2U a server, which is an Intel-based uh, server. Uh, it comes in various sizes in mm-hmm. terms of the number of compute and storage you need, so you can configure it. Same way where you do an instance configuration in the, in the region. Um, we also have a 1U, uh, which runs the Graviton. Um if you wanna you know run, run a, a graviton workload.
1: Right, that's the arm based that's the arm
2: based workload. And right. and the nice thing about the ARM lane arm um, uh is you have so much better price performance mm-hmm. and power consumption. Mm-hmm. So the arm runs much, yeah. much lower power. So if you start thinking putting servers in retail stores, you, you don't have the type of power you, you see in data centers, <laughs> right. but if you start stacking them up, I think that the, the, the cost performance and the power is a, is, a, is, a, is a big advantage.
1: Yeah, if it's pulling something that's similar to what a, a, a decent desktop would pull, yes, exactly. that's that's perfect for most retail stores. As someone who worked in retail Are for you? <laughs> a long time, yeah. I've got the scars to prove it. <laughs> Christmas music still yeah. makes me cringe a little bit. Yeah, uh, yeah we had... A server, quote yeah. unquote, which is yep. just like a, a robust yeah. desktop exactly. under the counter, and uh, you know, to replace it with this yeah. would not be that much of a big deal, especially yeah. for the for the retail.
2: And you know, just there. take that use case you mentioned. Right, just imagine a world where in all of this, in all of your retail locations, you're just running a piece of the AWS cloud. Mm-hmm. Now, for you to deploy your applications, update your applications, you have to think. You don't think about security anymore. Right, because we as this is a fully managed service. Right, we update it, we manage it, we we monitor it. If something goes wrong, we'll notify you. So, um, so I think that's a it's a real game changer for for for, for going that deep into the edge.
0: Well, you, you're worried about the box from a security perspective, in the same way you're worried about your AWS account. You don't have to worry about the platform; you have to worry about everything that's riding on top yeah. of it.
2: Yeah. And what we did, by the way, with the uh, with Outpost is. Obviously, Outpost runs in, outside of our secure facility. Mm-hmm. So we had to spend a lot of time thinking, how do I make that Outpost that runs, I don't know where it runs. I'm shipping it in a box somewhere. right? Yeah. How do I make right. it absolutely secure? As secure as if it was running in my region. Mm. And uh, what we've done with Outpost is we introduced this NSK, which is a key that sits in the Outpost. And if you run your application and you want to send it back to me, you want to make sure there's nothing on that box that, that's your data that goes back. And what you do is you pull the NSK key out, which will destroy it. Oh! And that is how everything was encrypted through that hardware key. That the minute you okay. pull it out, it destroys huh. it. You you destroy the key, and everything on that device becomes, um, you know, unreadable.
0: There are also supply chain protections on that box, like um, oh TPM, this sort yes, of thing. Yes, absolutely.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah. There are various security technologies that monitors all parts of the the inside.
1: Yeah, yeah. One thing we didn't cover is lambda. And I'm curious, is Lambda also an option for uh, for Outposts today? Absolutely, you can
2: learn, learn, run Lambda functions. You know, whether it's in the region, local zones, Outpost, um, uh, the exact same way you run it.
1: Okay. Yeah. But well, we're starting to come up on time. I want to see, just, just check in with you and see if there are any other announcements that came out during reInvent that you're super excited about or, or anything coming down the, in the future roadmap that you're allowed to talk about.
2: Oh, we <laughs> talked about that before we started, right? <laughs> 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 no, but, um, you know, so we, we spoke about the, the local zones. That is for us an exciting piece. Um, we, uh, we are continuously to see uh, fantastic growth. With the AWS P5G service. That's our own AWS private 5G service. Mm-hmm. So, just to quickly for, uh, for the listeners, what this is is uh, if you think 5G, you think telco. Right. Think right. big systems, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, hospitals, airports, I mean, lots of money. What we wanted to do is we want to make it as accessible to everybody. So, we took that entire technology and we said, how can we make it a fully managed service? So, AWS P5G. You can go on and you can order the system. We ship to you all the hardware and software needed for you to stand up a 5G network. And, um, and so you can stand it up, you can, you can configure it, and you can run it. And then secondly, from a, from a, from a uh, business model, we, we introduced the cloud economics where you also pay for the consumption versus paying for the system upfront. front. Mm. Right? So <laughs> um, this, is, this is really exciting, and we are seeing a lot of adoption of, of people now having access to the technology, and it's fascinating to see how how new use cases are being. Well, that, used that was for my it.
0: question: is use cases. I mean, I'm imagining IoT uh, factory. These are yeah. the big ones that pop to mind. Is that but typically? This, it? But this
2: is a surprising one for us: was events, because it's so mm. easy now to stand up a five G network. We use them here, by the way, at AWS uh, Reinvent. Mm. Uh, our events team uses the AWS private five G for the live streaming cameras.
1: Oh, okay. And they have
2: uh, wearable cameras that they walk around with, and they have fixed uh, cameras. But it's so easy to stand it up, um, provision it, run it. And, and what we did with, with AWS P5G, we made it fully API-driven through the AWS console. So things like your IAM for, for, for managing identity, that device now is just another uh, identity in your IAM. You can manage it, you can decide who have access to it, who can it talk to, who can... So it just feels, it's just completely API driven and you use the exact same tools you used today for, for developing applications to manage your network.
1: All right. It's pretty cool. That, that, that does sound very cool. Yeah. Uh, if folks want to get started or, or dig into more in the area that you specialize in, is there a good landing page
2: to send them to? Absolutely. So if you go to AWS, you'll find a landing page for local zones. Mm-hmm. It will tell you everything about local zones, where they are available, what services are supported on local zones. You'll find a landing page for, um, for outpost. It'll take you through the outpost. and then you also find a landing page for the um, AWS P5G service, private 5G service that I just mentioned. So all of that has a landing page that gives you all the detail you need.
1: All right. Awesome. Well, Jan, thank you so much for being a guest today on Day2Cloud. And hey, listeners out there, virtual high fives to you for tuning in. If you uh, have suggestions for future shows, you can hit either of us up on Twitter at day 2 Cloud Show. We both monitor that account, or you can fill out the form on our fancy website, Day2Cloud.io. Thanks again to our guests for joining us. And just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans.